0: The truth is, God is real, the devil is real, and there is so much more going on than we may even realize, regardless if you're a believer or not, or if church is part of your regular routine, or even if you're not sure what to believe, the fact is, your life is part of a much bigger fight, a fight for our homes, marriages, classrooms, souls, and our lives. This is WAR. All right, hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Would you put your hands together and help me welcome all of our first-time guests, both in the room and online. So glad to have you guys worshiping with us today. We're gonna jump right in because I'm excited for what we've got going on. We're on part two of a series on spiritual warfare. Started it last week. And, uh, you know, get a little bit of eyebrows. People are like, whoa, that sounds kind of ominous. But you came back, so that gives me permission to keep going. We have six parts to this series. And then, uh, I tell you what, I'm getting fired up about this. Man, uh, speaking of fired up, wasn't that some cool worship? Talk about that. I love the words of some of the stuff we were just singing. I told you, by the way, to watch for the words all throughout this series. It's our goal here at Grace Life to always sing songs that come straight out of the Bible, which means when you sing and worship here, you're getting like theology class while you're worshiping, and that's the way I think it should be, right? But what we're doing more than normal is we're making sure that the words uh, of what we're singing lines up with this series and the truths about God. And uh, matter of fact, today the truth is you just sang my message, so uh, if you're hungry, just go ahead and I'm just kidding, man, because I love what I do. I love getting to talk to y'all, so don't y'all go anywhere. But the, but that is exactly what just happened. And so you look, there, here, it, it's a crazy topic, right? I mean, we, we've we got to talk about this. It's a little tricky because we don't want to make a big deal out of the devil. But at the same time, there are a lot of questions about the world in which we live. I mean, we've got God, we've got Satan, we've got angels, we've got demons, we've got heaven, we got hell. We've got a natural world where we can touch everything and taste everything and smell everything. But at the same time, we've, We've got a spiritual realm that sometimes we don't understand very well, and so it's a tricky topic, but it's it's also such an important topic because so many people's faith is damaged, sometimes even lost, all because they don't understand what is happening in the world around them, and they think maybe the devil is one. They ask a lot of why God questions, and they end up walking away, and so that's why this topic is so important that we know God's place in our lives, and we know how to tell the devil his place in this world. Anybody with me on that one? Good. Thank you. Amen. There you go. So hey, look, uh, pastors say what I'm about to say all the time. So y'all to got to forgive me first. But pastors say this all the time, but I actually mean it more than ever. I'm sure we always mean it when we say it, but I mean it more than ever. And that is, if you miss any part of this series, you're going to want to go get it online. And the reason for this, if I had my way, I would just stand up here and give you like a five-hour sermon, like straight through. But I know many of you would go to lunch after like the first hour, and we can't have that. So what we've done is we've taken this one piece, like beginning to end, and we've broken it up into six parts. So if you miss anything, at some point, you're gonna be a little confused, or you're gonna say, what about, and you're gonna send me an email, and it's all gonna be because something doesn't make sense if you've missed any of it. So I wanna encourage you, if you do miss any of this series, in order for us to really understand what is happening in the world around us, check it out, it's on our app, it's on our website. So again, today's part two, we started off part one with there is a war, you were in it, doesn't matter if you signed up for it or want to be in it, you are in it one way or the other, it's a no civilian war. And I always get people who say, come on man, you can't say things like that because I'm a child of God. The devil can't do anything to me. Uh, Well, we're gonna talk about that in part three. Come back for that, all right? Actually, I'm gonna introduce just a little bit of what he does uh, today, but definitely next week we're gonna explain how even as a child of God, the devil gets away with a little bit of stuff. Today what I wanna talk about is, is how confusing our thoughts are about who the devil is and who God is. Matter of fact, who you believe God to be determines what you think about the devil, And it's very hard to separate those two and you can flip it because what you believe about the devil ultimately impacts what you believe to be true about God. Now, I grew up going to church and I'm going to tell you that even going to church, you can get some very confusing thoughts about how this thing plays out. And if you've ever read the Bible, if you've ever heard anybody preach, you can get some confusing thoughts. It just kind of lends itself to confusion, if I could say that. Because we have Stories like, well, there's a war in heaven, and apparently there's two sides. And when there's two sides, there's a worthy opponent, right? Or, or maybe you know the story of when Jesus was confronted by Satan, and the two of them carried on a conversation, quoting scripture to each other, like two guys having coffee. And, and you get the idea. There's a worthy opponent of some sorts. And, and we've we've heard about the the God of Heaven the he, he's the ruler of the kingdom of, of God. And then there's a the kingdom of darkness and it has a ruler. So again, kind of sounds like a, a worthy opponent. Now I'm a very visual person and I struggle learning foreign languages until people show it to me. So sometimes people will tell me a word and, and I've been to other countries and ask people, how do, they, how do you say that? And they'll have to say it to me about three or four times because what I'm doing when they say it to me three or four times, I'm mentally writing it. I, I have to see things, I'm such a visual person. And so, as I was growing up as a kid, I developed a diagram in my head, I'm going to share with you in a moment, of exactly how this Bible story kind of plays out, and at least the way everybody preaches, like, you know, there's good versus evil kind of thing. And so, I developed this idea in my head, and I know a lot of people look at this and go, that's what I believe too. And so, check out on the screen right here, when we look at the Bible, we kind of get this idea that that there's God and he's ruling the kingdom of heaven and he's got angels and there's Satan and he's ruling the kingdom of darkness and he's got what we call demons. Now demons are simply the angels that went with him just so that we don't get confused. And so demons are fallen angels, that's it. Just makes it easy to not have to clarify what kind of angel they are. They're just demons and that's what we say. And so we get the idea that it's kind of God and it's Satan and you and I are engaged in a battle between worthy opponents. Anybody ever kind of thought that you don't have to raise your hand but You kind of thought that when you read the Bible sometimes, you see what's going on. Matter of fact, sometimes you read the Bible and it looks like God was only winning for like the first two chapters. And then the devil got the upper hand in chapter three. Because again, you read the Bible and you go, well, God had a good plan and yet the devil got away with his plan. So apparently we've got two worthy opponents here. And so what we need to do today before we go any deeper into this series is we've got to build it on this foundational truth And it is that that diagram is not correct, but this diagram is. Check out the screen for this one. Because God, enough said. God is alone at the top. God is God, there is no other. He has no equal. He is God alone. And so what happened back was that there were three chief archangels. One of them, his name was Lucifer. He's the one that rebelled. Two of them, Michael and Gabriel. Michael, we talked about in part one. Gabriel, we talk about at Christmas, come back in a few months. But those two, they remained, and all of the angels under their charge remained. And so that's what, when we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what's happening in the spiritual realm. We've got Michael and Gabriel and his angels. And then on the other side was Lucifer that we sometimes refer to as Satan, more commonly, the devil maybe the enemy, whatever term you want to use there. And the third of the angels under his charge fell. But what we've got to remember is that God is alone at the top. There is no other. He has no equal. Matter of fact, we were just singing a song a moment ago. It says, you have no rival. You have no equal. Not a fair fight between God and the devil. God is the creator. The devil was created. God has no beginning. The devil has a beginning. God is all powerful. The devil has limited power and has to ask for it. We're going to look at that today. They're they're not even in the same league. And to help you understand this, this concept of God has no rival, I want you to understand what a rivalry really is. So we're here in South Carolina. I thought I would illustrate a rivalry between the Gamecocks and Clemson. And then knew I'd get that response right there. So we're gonna we're gonna detach ourselves from this a little bit. This will impact a whole lot less of us because I'm going to talk about the one true rivalry on Earth. And, and and before y'all think I'm making this one up, ESPN will do these these shows, and it doesn't matter what time of the year it is, it doesn't matter what season it is, or what sport is being played. They'll they'll let you text in, or you know, vote online, or something like that for the greatest rivalry of all time in any sport of all time. And they'll ask, you know, is it these two teams in Major League Baseball? Is it these two teams in the NFL? And every time, the one that wins, Duke, UNC, college basketball. Come on, see, I didn't get a response. Y'all are detached. I appreciate that. There's only like four of us here that even care. But here's the point. The reason that it's the greatest rivalry of all time is because usually one of those two teams is ranked very, very high, except for COVID. God bless us all. We had a hard year, y'all, I'm sorry. But anyway, every other time, one of those two teams is ranked very, very high. Sometimes they both are. Sometimes one is ranked low, and just it's not their best year. And what everybody knows is it doesn't matter if this is the number one team and the number two team, which has happened many times. It doesn't matter if this is the number one team and an unranked team, which has happened What everybody knows is that anybody can win at any moment because they're in the same league and they cause each other to bring their best. So even if one of them has somehow been ranked number one, that really means nothing at the start of that game. Matter of fact, it is such a big rivalry that some people like me being a Duke fan would say it's on my bucket list to see the Duke Carolina game at Duke. The truth is that's not on my bucket list. That's on my Wish list, like dream list, like pray for a miracle list. Because you've got to know somebody or be somebody. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I've got a friend of mine that actually owns season's tickets to all of the home games, Duke basketball games. And he sells that one game in order to pay for the rest of the season so he can go to every other game. That's, that's what, it's, what you just can't do this kind of thing because everybody knows that anybody could win at any moment. God and Satan. No, not in the same league, totally different league. I wanna prove this to you out of scripture today. And y'all can follow along. We're gonna look at a couple of of longer stories. It'll give you time to to follow along there. The first one is way back in the Old Testament, about the middle of the Old Testament. A guy named Job at the very uh, beginning, chapter one, verse six. It says, "No, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan. Where you been, buddy? I'm just kidding. From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, well, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, surely if you've been out there watching, you've seen somebody. Have you considered my servant Job? Because there is none like him on the earth. He's a blameless and upright man who fears God, turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, well, I mean, of course he fears you. Does he fear you for no reason? Have you ever looked at his circumstances? They're amazing. I mean, if you look at his life, look, you've put a hedge around him, his house, everything that he has, his stuff is protected on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands. Everything he does turns to gold. And his possessions have increased in the land. I mean, what do you expect, God? His circumstances are so amazing. And God says, duh. Didn't you hear the part where I said he's blameless and upright? He loves me, he hates you. It's called the blessing of God, fool. It's what happens when people honor me and they don't honor you. That's him. Satan says, Well, you know, I bet if you change his circumstances. So he says, Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. Take it all away, because I promise you, he's going to curse you to your face as soon as his life isn't so pretty. And God says, Nuh uh. He says, Behold, All that he has is in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. You know what we see? Satan can't do anything without God's permission because God has no rival. So Satan unfortunately goes and does everything that he was given permission to do. Y'all ever read the Bible, and and as you're reading a story, you go, thank God I'm not that guy. Come on, somebody, you you know? And I have to tell you, you've done this. If you've ever read the story of Job, I say, Thank God I'm not Job. There's a lot of other questions that come to mind about the why and the what and God, why'd you let this happen? And I'm just gonna give you this real quick thing and move on because I just don't want anybody derailed and not listening to the rest of what I preach. The primary purpose of life is not to die when you're old, to have a lot of stuff, and to always be happy. The primary purpose of life is to worship God, to glorify him forever. And you can glorify God a wee little bit when you win the lottery. Because everybody goes, oh, praise Jesus. When you win the lottery, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. But when you lose everything that makes your life easy on earth and you say, but God is still good. You see, unfortunately for him, but fortunately for you and me, Job got to be the human who demonstrates what it means to worship God. And God gave him that great privilege. Yes, it was a little ugly on earth for a moment, but that's what's happening. So Satan goes and does everything, didn't work out like he thought. So he shows back up in a few more verses. Chapter two, everybody says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Let's jump to three. And the Lord said to Satan, once again, have you considered my servant Job? He still holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason, And then Satan said, well, still, man, come on, look, it's all about his circumstances. I took a little bit of his stuff, not that big a deal because he's still alive. He's still healthy. He still gets up and looks at the sunrise. But I promise you, skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. Stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said, nuh-uh, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Just spare his life. You know what we see again? Satan can't do anything without permission, and he can only do what God allows him to do. Why? Because God has no rival. God has no equal, and Satan knows it. The devil knows this. Matter of fact, let's jump to the New Testament, to one of my favorite stories that demonstrate this, because this is just, this is cool. Mark chapter five, everybody, if you're following along. So then there's a story with Jesus, obviously. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And the story gets a little pronoun confusing from this part forward, because sometimes you're a little confused. Is this the man talking? Or is this the unclean spirit talking? Or is it hard to know the difference anyway? Y'all ever met one of those people? Y'all think, yeah, I work for him on Monday. I'm just kidding. And when the man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. You know why he did that? Because falling down on your knees before somebody is a sign of submission. You are greater, I am lesser. And you can just imagine this unclean spirit whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you're Jesus and running up and falling on his knees before him and going, I knew the Bible tells us every knee will bow someday. I just thought that was like way out in the future. I thought, you know, the book of Revelation was coming a little bit later. I didn't realize like we're right here, right now. Oh my gosh, let me get on my knees because I understand who you are. And crying out with a loud voice, he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible because I'd read the Bible with a sense of humor. And here's what's happening. The devil, what are you gonna do to me, Jesus, son of the most high? Because my boss is not the most high. A little worried about this at the moment. I know that every knee's gonna bow. You are here now. You are in charge because you are son of the most high. God is the most high. I do not work for the most high. I'm not on the side of the most high. So I am really freaking out right now. What are you gonna do to me? At least that's the way I see the story. And so the demon says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. That word adjure means to beg and swear an oath. I beg of you to swear an oath by God because God is the most high and whatever you say by his name, you have to do. If you swear it by my boss's name, that's pretty much useless. So I don't want you to do that, but I'm begging you. I'm begging you, would you please do not torment me and swear it by the most high God. I mean, I don't know if y'all are imagining this. But Jesus is standing. A man who is filled with demons is kneeling. And the demon is admitting who is who and begging. Come on. I wish I could like make movies. Because he was, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. I'm sorry, I don't have a very good demon voice, which I think is probably, it's probably normally a good trait for a pastor to not have a good demon voice. Y'all might be a little scary if I did that way too well. But I imagine right at this moment that his head spins all the way around one time in a full circle, you know? He says, Legion, to represent thousands Some say that a legion was 1,000. According to the Roman army, some say it's 6,000. So 1,000 or 6,000, I don't know about you, but the difference between 1,000 or 6,000 demons living inside of me pretty much is a bad day. Either way you go, I mean, that's, that's not good, right? And so what the demon is really saying is, I've been elected spokesperson, but I got a lot of friends in here, man, and this dude has no help until you showed up, son of the most high. So he begged him earnestly. Please don't send us out of the country. We we want to cause more trouble here. We've got something to do. And so now a great herd of pigs was feeding over there on the hillside. And so they begged him, saying, We've got an idea. Send us into those pigs. Let let us just live in the pigs. Come on, y'all laughing like I'm I'm, barbecue, bacon. I imagine right before this event, these pigs made like Kansas City barbecue style kind of stuff. And then right after the demons enter them, we ended up with this anomaly I have yet to understand, South Carolina barbecue made out of mustard. I mean, I don't know. I'm from South Carolina, so I can say this, but I don't know what that stuff is. And I still try casting demons back out of that pig when somebody gives me mustard-based barbecue. I'm not even trailing. To be funny, that's just the truth. So... So Jesus gave them permission. You know what we see again? The devil can't do anything without permission because God has no rival. God has no equal. Matter of fact, the one who asks for permission is not in charge. The one who asks for permission is inferior. The one who grants permission is in charge one who grants permission, is superior. It is very, very clear that God has no rival and the devil knows it. The question is, do we? Because it doesn't look like we do when we find ourselves going, I don't know how this is gonna turn out. I'm I'm really worried. I prayed to God, but I think the devil's out to get me. We don't seem to know it. When God says you're forgiven and yet you wake up every day and feel guilty. We don't seem to know it when God says, I've created you individually, uniquely, with great purpose for great works upon the earth. And the devil says, you're never gonna amount to anything. And you go, oh my gosh, I don't think my life has any purpose. We don't seem to know what the devil knows. And that is that God has no rival. The devil has no place. Now, if that's true, this obviously brings us to like one of the most logical questions we could ever ask. If God is in charge, if God is alone at the top, then what is the devil doing? If the devil knows God won and he lost, if he knows that one day every knee will bow when Jesus returns, and right now, whenever, like when Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, they already started bowing. If the devil knows, then what is he doing right now? Why is he even bothering to mess with us? Does he not understand who we are? We are the children of God and the kingdom of God. Does he not get that? He might, but he doesn't care. Let me ask you a question. This is really important. Don't miss this. If the devil didn't treat God the way he deserves, what makes you think he's gonna treat you the way you deserve? I mean, has that ever, like, processed on a bad day? If the devil doesn't treat God as God the most high, why should we be surprised the devil isn't gonna treat the children of God as the children of God? See, so here's what we need to know about the devil. He doesn't fight fair. The devil doesn't fight fair. There's some things that we're gonna to need to understand about this devil and the way that he goes about, the way that he treats us. The first one is simply that he's a bully. And bullies simply torture people just for the fun of it. Not because they have the right to do it, not because they can do it, It's just what they do. Their purpose is to make somebody else miserable by making themselves feel better because they know there's something wrong with them. They know it. When I was a kid, I was a a small kid, sadly. I mean, I finally made it to a small adult, just for the record. I was 4'11 when I started high school, so we won't even talk about what happened before that. But when I was in in seventh or eighth grade, I forget which one, I've tried to block this out. There was a kid who had somehow already maxed out his lifetime growth spurt. Man, it's like David and Goliath, except I did not have a slingshot and five stones in my pocket. and and he was in gym class and would harass me if if we go into the locker room to change out. I started taking lower grades just because I didn't want to have to go somewhere the coach was not, and he was. And and then he would find me in the hallway in between classes. Unfortunately, his class or my class, they would just be somewhere near each other. I'd be like, what are you doing, man? You can't shove me like this. You can't hit me like this. What if a teacher's easy? There ain't no teacher here. I can do anything I want. You see, the devil is just a bully. It's not about what he has a right to do, although he does have some rights. We're gonna talk about those next week. But it's not even about what he has a right to do. It's just about who he is. He's just out to make people miserable. And you know why he does that? Because the second thing we need to know, he's a sore loser. He knows God won. He knows he lost. But if he lost, he's gonna make the rest of this game as miserable for you and me as he possibly can. Like every day he wakes up and goes, man, this is not gonna turn out well for me. Let me see if I make sure it doesn't turn out well for you. I'm gonna be miserable. Let me see if I can make you miserable too. I mean, y'all ever like played Monopoly with your kids or something? You know, here's the thing about Monopoly. You have lost Monopoly long before you have lost Monopoly. See what I mean by that is somebody's got like four hotels and you've got like $4. (laughs) And you're going around and you know, man, whenever I land there, this is over. And you just gotta keep going round. The best you can hope for is a couple of hundred dollars when you go around, but you're gonna still owe them like $10,000 whenever you land on their space. You have no hope. It is over, but you gotta keep going round and round, even though you've lost. And when you know you're a sore loser, you just start taking the dice and instead of dropping them gently and going, wonder what I'm gonna get, you start throwing them across the room. When you finally owe somebody some money, you throw the money at them. You just become a sore loser I know, because I've taught all four of my kids to play Monopoly. I know how this goes down. And the devil is a sore loser. He's a bully. He's just trying. And he's just making life as miserable as he can for anybody that will let him. Which leads to the third thing we need to know about him. He's a liar. The Bible tells us that he's a liar because he's the father of lies. Because when he lies, he just does what's in him. He doesn't know how to do truth. He is a liar. And you know what? We believe him sometimes. And that's the mistake. He says things like, you'll never amount to anything. We go, oh, God couldn't forgive that. I mean, the pastor preaches forgiveness and it's all cute and everything, but that guy does not know what you did. (sighs) So we believe his lies. And then we end up with a worse, that's number four. And that's that he's a deceiver. You may say, well, those are the same. And I'd say, no, they're not. Because see, lies you can reject. Deceiving is about a state of being. See, deception is the result of believing lies. Deception is the result of him presenting you with a false reality. And, and, and sometimes the devil tries to tell us he is somebody that he's not, that he's got a power that he doesn't have, that there's there's a fair fight between God and the devil, and he gets us to believe this. I had a friend of mine in college. It was it was my senior year of college, and well, obviously we were roommate. We were roommates, so that means obviously we were. We were Very close. We spent a lot of time together because not only were we roommates, we were both uh, music majors, we were both piano majors, we we both loved racquetball. And so we we spent a lot of time together. And I was I was about to go off and, and join a church planning team after graduation. I knew this is what God had called me to do. I was pretty excited about my faith. And if I could get you to surrender to Jesus, I was gonna do it, and if I couldn't, I was gonna annoy you. And so we were always having conversations. And one time, I mean, I was out of words. I was out of options. I, I didn't know what else to say. I didn't know what other invitation to offer him. What I knew is our church believed in miracles and praying for healing and whatever else. And, and, and I just thought, man, if you could just come and see the power of God, that convince you. He told me about going to church with his mom and his grandmom growing up, and he said, oh, I've seen the power of God. I just prefer the power of darkness. See, that's deceived is when you believe that you can just choose either side because there's a rivalry going on. It's all about putting on an act to make us believe some sort of a false reality. When I first uh, got married and came back to the States, I was was teaching school and teachers don't get paid a lot. I don't know if y'all have heard that public school teaching and so we all get second or third jobs during the summer to try and help out with that and so being a band director I had a bus driver's license and so me and all the other PE coaches and everything something came along one summer because see I taught school in the, the great golf world of Pinehurst, North Carolina. The U.S. Open came to town, and so we got to drive buses and drop everybody off. Because when they build golf courses, they assume a few hundred people will play. They never assume ten thousand people would show up to watch a few hundred people to play. And so there's no parking spaces. So you have to park somewhere across the city and let us drive you in one of those fine activity buses. I personally be pretty offended if I paid ten thousand dollars to go to the U.S. Open and had to ride an activity bus. But that's beside the point. So, so they gave us these matching. Collared shirts, little embroidered U.S. Open emblem looked pretty official. Then it got doubly official because they gave us matching hats with the embroidered emblem on top of that. And they told us all to wear the same color as shorts. So, so we looked like we had a uniform, y'all know what I'm saying. And we, we were told very clearly, like, bring your own water, bring your own soda, put it on your bus, don't get off your bus, drive your bus, because you you get nothing. There's no benefits, no perks to this job. And, and so one of my friends, he's a football coach, after about three days of, of running everybody back, saying, y'all enjoy the tournament now, y'all enjoy the tournament now, y'all enjoy it. The... And they get off and they come back. Oh, man, did you see that shot on number 11? Oh, that was amazing on the ninth hole, man. That was. So about the third day, my football coach friend of mine, he says, are we really going to drive in circles all day long? all week long and like never see any of the U.S. Open? I said, dude, we're not allowed to. He said, you want to bet? And first of all, y'all need to understand, I don't care about golf. I don't like golf. I don't play golf. I am not good at golf. If I ever try, which I have, people laugh at me. I don't care about golf at all. Matter of fact, probably comes from a little bit of a soul wound that I got. Freshman PE class, they tried to teach us things. This will tell you how old I am. One of the things they had to teach us was how to shoot guns, but that's another story. But they tried to teach us how to play golf. And I remember it was my turn to step up on this hill overlooking the entire football field and everything. And I get out this thing and I go whoosh. And I am looking. And I saw two things I don't ever want to see again. One of them is the ball was still right there. <laughs> and the second one, true story my PE coach was falling on the ground laughing at me. I said, I'm gonna go do something people don't laugh at unless I want them to, you know? So my friend says, you know what? Why don't we just, it's the slow part of the day. People are either here or they've already left. Like, let's just drive over to the drop-off point with our empty bus and just kind of leave it there for a minute. (laughs) So we get off and we decide we're gonna play a little good acting because you can deceive anybody if you're a good enough actor. Rule number one, just act like you're doing whatever it is you are doing. You're supposed to be doing whatever it is you're doing, right? And so we've already got the matching shirts with embroidered emblems. I mean, these are not like paper name tags. These things are nice. We've got the matching hat, the matching shorts. And so we think we can just look like anybody else who's working here. We walk right up to where the ticket taker is. Rule number two, never make eye contact with the person you're deceiving we just walked right in. Nobody said a word to us. We found out what hole Tiger was on. We went and watched Tiger play an entire hole looked at each other and said, bucket list done. Never paid a penny to see the U.S. open and watch Tiger play. See, the devil wants you to believe he is somebody he is not. He wants you to believe he has the right to be doing something in your life. He does not. He is out to present you with some sort of false reality that we then end up believing because he is a deceiver. There's only one answer for when someone is lying to you, being a bully to you, trying to deceive you. You gotta know a little something about how things work. You ever played a game with somebody and they slap down a two and go, I won. (laughs) They're like, what are you talking about? You didn't know twos were wild? No, I didn't. Excuse me, twos are not wild. Oh, sure they are. They start making up the rules as you go. See, you will never win if you don't know the instructions. I've got a little bit of a reputation here with the staff for a game that's the one of the, it's got to be the best game ever invented called Settlers at Catan. Come on, I ain't fans in the room around here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, and so we used to play it at every staff, like conference we went to in the hotel, whatever we were doing. I took it everywhere until I am pretty sure there's a reason we lost a staff member over settlers. And so now we don't we don't play it so much, but I've still got. There you go, staff laughing over here. I got a reputation now. So so one of our, our, our new pastors, Chuck, loves Settlers, and he wanted to play me in Settlers. He's been looking to do this now for, for over a year and came over for dinner just a few weeks ago, and my kid said, hey, can we play Settlers tonight? You should have seen Chuck's face like, is this really happening? Am I gonna get to play you in Settlers? Like, we're in my house, my dining room table, my box of Settlers. And he says, so what are the rules? What are your house rules? I'm like, dude, no, we play by the rules, man. That's how that works right here. So he says, so you mean you don't allow such and such? Like, well, yeah, we do. That's one of the expansion rules when you have more than four people. So that's the, and his response was, I- I've never read the expansion rules. I'm thinking, oh, I got this. Because I'll tell you whatever I need to tell you at any point in this game that things aren't going so well. Unfortunately, God was testing my integrity. I was truthful to him and the dice like Chuck, and that's all we're gonna say about that story. If you've never read the instructions, you're at the mercy of the one who's out to deceive you. If you don't know the instructions for spiritual warfare, if you don't know how to take your place, if you don't know how to remind the devil of his... Then you're gonna find yourself at the mercy of the one who is trying to take charge of something in your life they have no right having charge of. You ever been at home on a peaceful Saturday afternoon and somebody rings your doorbell because they wanna sell you something you don't want? They want to take your time. They want to be in charge of what's going on in your life. I'm one of those people who does not answer that door. And the funny thing is, I've got two huge glass sidelights. And so to even ring my doorbell, you have to look all the way into the living room, to the couch where I'm seated, looking back at you. And I can see your pretty collared shirt with your solar panel emblem right here and think, I'm not answering that door. And you ring it and you look. I'm not going to be at the mercy of what you want me to do right now. I'm in charge of my life. I'm sitting here with my kids. I'm watching television, watching a game. I'm reading a book. I'm writing a sermon. I don't know what I'm doing, but what I know is I'm in charge, and I'm not going to be at the mercy of somebody else who wants me to be in charge. I don't answer that door. My wife, sweet as can be, she goes and has a full-blown conversation. Well, I'm not so sure about this, if it's the right. Time. Well, when would be the right time? Can I come back and say, no. See, here's the thing. Someone who's out to deceive and to trick is just looking for any opportunity. My children answer the door. And the guy always says, your father at home? Dad, I gotta go shut this door in that man's face. So I walk right up, say, thank you, not interested. And I go to shut the door. And they say, but, but wait, wait, no. I'm gonna shut the door in your face at this point. I was polite enough because you are trying to take charge of my time that does not belong to you. If I wanted solar panels, I'd know of the internet. If I wanted solar panels, I am not gonna be at your mercy. The problem is we are at the mercy of the one who's doing anything he wants because we don't know the instructions for spiritual warfare. You see, we said in part one that the devil came to declare war on those who obey the commandments of God. I know Christians that have not read this. They don't know what's in it. They don't do what's in it. And they say, I don't have any problem with the devil. Go, no figure. I mean, what do you you think, man? He came to declare war on those who know the commandments of God. We talked in part one. We said that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the rulers and the heavenly realms. And that passage goes on. We didn't say it last week. That passage goes on to say, how do we do that? By the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God the instructions for spiritual warfare. You see, if we don't know the instructions, we're at the mercy of the one who is going to try to trick us. If we don't know the instructions, then we don't know what to do when he says, you'll never amount to anything. Because we don't know how to say, oh, excuse me, but actually I've seen it in black and white that I was created by the Most High, which you are not for something in my life. Well, Well, he can't forgive that. Well, actually I've seen it written in black and white And I can tell you that the name above all names died for me and wrote my name in heaven. And so you can just go right back to where you were because you are not gonna take my time and I'm not gonna be at the mercy of your lies. See, if we don't know the instructions for spiritual warfare, we are at the mercy of a bully and a liar and a sore loser and someone who is simply out to deceive us into thinking something about him that is not true because our God has no rival. And the devil knows it. So do we. Well, I hope we do. Because from this point forward, the most important thing we need to know is to tell the devil to get back in his place, on his knees, begging the son of the most high if he can hide out in some pigs until his end shows up. Amen? I want to take a moment and talk to those of you that are a little bit in limbo Things might be a little difficult because just as the devil said, son of the most high, I have to bow to the son of the most high. See, if you are not a child of the most high, if you have yet to make Jesus your king and you're gonna find yourself in a place sometimes where the devil might get a little bit of an upper hand. See, Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for you so that you could say everything that I just said. I'm a child of God, get away from me. I am forgiven, get away from me. I know what I'm put here to do, get away from me. But that starts at the point where every single one of us surrenders our life to the one true King of Kings. And if you've never done that, I wanna help you do that right now, wherever you are. If you would, just pray with me, say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that I am loved by you. I thank you that I'm forgiven because of you. My prayer today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Everybody help me celebrate with those people. Amen.